Now back to On the Block with Strick and Austin on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. We're here on the block. Austin Norman, Eric Strickland, Kenny Wilhite with you. Joined now on the Honda of Lincoln Hotline by Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. Evan, thanks for being flexible with us again this week. And let's start with football on the Nebraska recruiting front. And and Jacob Hood's commitment. Now the third player from uh, Georgia that commits to Nebraska. You look at what Nebraska got out of Stephon Wynn. He got some snaps last year. Kane Williams still in the room. Didn't really see much from him last year. When you look at these three guys from Georgia, do you think that they have the potential to make more of an impact than the two Alabama guys did? Or do you think they're just, you know, additions to the roster in wait-and-see mode? Well, first of all, let me say I caught the end of your last segment, and I feel like I'm the show that's not as interesting as the last show. Um, you know, <laughs> Don't say if that. I were you guys, I would have pushed me to next week and just listened to Kenny tell some of his stories. But uh, – no, I, I think you know Jacob Wood was an interesting hire or hire addition <laughs> to the to, to the room. I mean, you talk about that this program has, and one of them is at the tackle spot. Even though they have some returning talent there, um, you know, I think his situation is different from a lot of the other transfers that have come from bigger schools. It's just in the fact that he was only there for a year, he's a guy who had major recruiting pedigree out of high school and is not somebody, especially at a place like Georgia, who is going to jump in there and be a, a right, right away. So I don't know that we've learned, um, you know, too much about Jacob Hood that's been different from his high school days, other than the fact that he's a massive human being, 6'8". I think he told me he's now down to down to 330. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's there's room for him to, to find a role, whether that be next season or a couple seasons down the road. Um, but yeah, I think when you when you think about some of the bigger name schools that Nebraska's added transfers from in the last few years, um, a lot of them have their own different circumstances. But I think Hood is a guy who, again, is at a position of need, is early enough in his career where he's essentially a freshman. I mean, he has four years of eligibility to go, and somebody uh, who I imagine, yeah, will, will have an impact with Nebraska sooner than later. If you had to pick one uh, for this season, which of the three Georgia transfers do you think makes the biggest impact? Would it be MJ Sherman, given the position? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could make the argument for any of the guys, I think. I mean, like we just said with Hood, he's someone who could jump in at either tackle spot down the road. That is where he wants to play is on the edge. Um, and, and you figure there'll be opportunity there. You know, Eric Gilbert is probably the guy that we've seen who's maybe the most proven college player, given what he did at LSU as a freshman. Uh, but, you know, he, he's someone who's kind of been working through stuff off the field, too. Not that he's been a guy who's been in trouble, but just trying to find that right situation for him. I mean, when you think about the fact that when you consider his his, uh, his short time at Florida, now Nebraska will be the fourth school that he's been to in his college career. So if he's in a place uh, where things are right for him off the field, I think he has maybe the most upside in terms of talent. And that tight end position also is one where uh, it's pretty open right now. You hope Thomas Fedoni is healthy and ready to contribute. And, and uh, you know, Nate Borkature has shown uh, some talent and some flashes as well. But that's a group that is looking for someone to jump in and take the reins. And then, yeah, I think MJ Sherman, especially in the immediate future, is probably that guy who can, 
come in. Um, everyone knows the names of the guys that Nebraska's lost from Garrett Nelson, Caleb Tanner, O'Shawn Mathis, all moving on to the professional level. And so there's uh, a lot of opportunity there for a guy like MJ Sherman. And I think when you look at his situation specifically, uh, and, and he had a great interview with local media in Georgia during the season where he kind of just laid out, look, there are a lot of really talented dudes ahead of me on that defense, and he had to be cool with that. And he had to carve out a, a role on special teams and made a difference there. You, you hear some of the, the reports about what he meant to that locker room, especially you know down the stretch in the college football playoff. Um, and, and just the fact that, again, he was a guy who was caught up, I think, just on a roster with a ton of talent, guys both who are going to be in the NFL next year and a historically good haul that's coming in in this 2023 class. I think multiple five stars, multiple top you know, 50 uh, prospects at that edge rushing spot. So I think in the short term it would be Sherman, but I, I do believe all three of those guys, given their upside and the positions that they play being positions of need for Nebraska, uh, that we could see all of them uh, be hits here in the next season or two. As you look at the the rosters, we're one week away from signing day. Not that it really matters a whole lot or as much anymore, given the the prevalence of the early signing day. You look at the roster right now. What position do you think is in the best shape, and where do you think Nebraska might still be looking for help, either you know before signing day, probably not, but after spring when that transfer window opens up again? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect a ton of extra movement at this point now that the transfer window uh, portal is closed, at least to enter into the portal, and it doesn't appear that there is a lot uh, you know, imminent for Nebraska in terms of adding out of the portal now with classes starting. Um, so yeah, you're probably in the mix still for a player or two uh, in, in the high school level to sign on that February 1st date here coming up. Um, so I, I think in a lot of ways, some of this has to shake out a little bit, right? Like, You've added some pieces now at, 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 on the offensive line. That was a place that you want to do. You've addressed the tight end spot a little bit with Eric Gilbert um, and a number of other positions, too. And, and so I think a lot of this has to play out over the course of the spring. And you look ahead to that next portal window, that April 15th to 30th, um, when guys can enter in. And, and as everyone knows, Nebraska is well over that 85 uh, scholarship number that you have to be at uh, for fall camp. So there's going to be more attrition than there is addition, um, you know, I think the rest of the way, not to say that they won't have but uh, to answer your question, I think, you know, one of the spots you feel pretty good about is I think defensive back. Uh, essentially, if they wanted to roll out every starter from, uh, from the secondary last year, that I think on the other side of the ball, uh, running back is another one. And, and coaches talked about this the last few weeks where they didn't feel like they needed to dip into the transfer portal at that position because they had so much depth uh, with Anthony Grant and A.J. Allen and so many other you know, younger, promising guys, Gabe Irvin, and so on and so forth. So I think those are two spots you probably feel pretty good. Um, I think in terms of what you have to address, it's still going to be how, to, how does the line of scrimmage shake out on both sides. I mean, you feel good about adding Ben Scott, the Arizona State transfer at center. Uh, Jacob Hood, I think, whether it's a short-term or long-term addition, you feel good about too. Uh, but there's probably still at least an interior spot, maybe another tackle spot that you'd like to add if possible uh, in that next window into the summer. And then on the defensive side too, um, I think that's, as Coach Rule has said many times, and I think it's pretty common knowledge in football, you're not going to say no to an impact Defensive, defensive linemen as, as well. So I think those are spots that, uh, again, things are going to have to shake out over the summer or through the, through the spring and into the summer 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I think those are probably spots where you're a little bit unsettled, at least at this point, still, too. Talking with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald here on the block. Evan, something else that Matt Rule said earlier this week was that he doesn't anticipate Nebraska being a slow burn. He said there was a lot, you know, in that locker room, given the way they fought, you know, against Iowa in, in that situation. But then you go out and add 37 players. Did those two comments work together? Can they both be true? Or is one of them false and yet we have to figure out which one Matt Rule thinks is actually true? Yeah, I, I, he had another comment, which was something along the lines of, you know, he didn't want to fall, uh, kind of give in to that temptation of adding a bunch of guys in that first year. And I think a lot of it's just emblematic of the changing uh, just way of college athletics, because it's absolutely true, I, in my opinion, that three years ago, if your approach as a new coach coming in, what you want to do is add, a, add what you can in that first class and then really build the relationships and make that, that sort of regime change class the next year, the big one where you, where you really have guys who can buy into your, your style and, and, and that sort of thing. But I think what we've seen with Matt rule is he's a strategic thinker and, and what he knows about how the rules have changed in college athletics is you can sort of treat this like, uh, you know, like, like, like a professional sort of setting where again, at this point they're approaching a hundred scholarship athletes right now. And so it's, it's sort of almost like tryouts heading into um, the spring and then into the summer where, uh, you know, guys are going to be moving on, not necessarily because they're being forced out, but because they'll sort of see the writing on the wall and, and players want to play. And so they're going to try to uh, find a way to do that elsewhere. Um, you know, I think a lot about college football uh, and, and some of the success that you can have is a simple numbers game where you don't want to be, um, you know, 20 under uh, the scholarship limit or whatever. If you can, if you can add as many talented pieces as you can and then see how it plays out over the course of, a number of months I think that's the way that you do it I mean that's just that's just smart strategic thinking even if there are going to be some tough conversations on the back end so I just think the narrative's changed I mean you look at again Matt Rule's rebuilds at Temple and at Baylor uh, and the struggles that they had in their first year I mean Temple was changing conferences 10 years ago Baylor was coming off of a scandal and it took years to traditionally build recruiting classes uh, in order for that success to come in year two and in year three. And I think it's just a different climate now where you can patch holes immediately, where you can quote unquote over sign and then figure it out down the stretch. So I, I absolutely think uh, just it, it's, it's a different sort of setting in college athletics now. And, and I would be surprised if it's anything close to the first years that, that Matt Rule had at his previous stops where he won, you know, one and two games. A different setting in college athletics, and especially in the Big Ten West. We talk about and we know about all the change that's happened at Nebraska on the roster, on the coaching staff, all over the place. But the Big Ten West has had a lot of upheaval as well. You can point to you know coaches leaving off of every staff or a key position change. As you look at the Big Ten West, and likely it's last year, is there a most stable program, or is this division just that topsy-turvy? Yeah, you're right. I, personally, I'm going to miss the Big Ten West. I think it's, it's kind of grown on me as, as, as a fun sort of division, and, and things are absolutely going to change when it goes into whatever the new format will be when UCLA and USC join. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, It's such an interesting setup for this next year where you look at your powers. I suppose you still start with Iowa, uh, and, and but you know their fans are clamoring to have their offensive coordinator uh, let go. They're going to be breaking in a new quarterback their defense you would figure is going to take a step back from being 
what was one of the nation's best. Uh, their offense will be better, but how much better? Um, and, and, and beyond that, I mean, Wisconsin with a new head coach, um, Purdue with a new head coach, Illinois, uh, can it take that next step under Brett Bielema now that it, it lost Ryan Walters to, uh, to Purdue? So, you know, what does that look like? Northwestern's been really down now for a couple of years. Minnesota lost, I think, the majority of its coaching staff under P.J. Fleck just in the last, you know, couple of months. And Nebraska is certainly in that mix, too, with a new head coach. You're talking about, uh, you know, creeping up on 40 new uh, scholarship additions, maybe when it's all said and done. So it is. It feels like it's a total toss-up. I think it, it represents um, sort of the influx nature of, of not just college athletics, but but the Big Ten. And, again, I think there's a realization, and I talk about this with my colleagues a lot, that the, what it takes to win the West and have that one-game shot at winning the Big Ten championship, it's a whole different deal, and I think it's a different approach when you have to worry about winning it over the course of a full season where you have to beat a Michigan or an Ohio State or a Penn State. And I think you're seeing teams, um, you know, you're having to, to go outside your comfort zone a little bit and try something different, be a little less conservative on offense. And so we'll see kind of how that shakes out this year, but – um, at the end of an era, it also sort of feels like it's the beginning of whatever that next one's going to be as these schools find their new identities. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you at least a couple baseball questions before we let you go here, Evan. Practice starts on Friday for the baseball team. We'll hear from Will Bolt and uh, a few players, at least one. Who would you be most interested in hearing in or hearing from to start the season, whether it's a newcomer or someone from last year's team? Well, I think... The new guy that interests me the most is Jace Kaminska, the the start of the the pitcher transfer from uh, Wichita State. I mean, he's a guy. I kind of went through um, the Big Ten and looked at some of the transfer ads and subtractions, and in my opinion, uh, especially on the pitching side, there really weren't a lot of impact starting arms added anywhere uh, other than him at Nebraska. I mean, he had a sub-three ERA uh, in his career previously. I think he's a guy who has really high upside coaches are really high on him as a, as an impact weekend arm uh, had a chance to talk with him briefly last fall, but he's a guy uh, I think that can immediately change kind of how you look at Nebraska's weekend rotation and how it'll start to match up with some big 10 teams. I think among returners, uh, you know, Kyle Perry is another guy who's interesting. He's, he's coming off his second Tommy John. I know he just started throwing live last week um, he's somebody who's in his fifth college year, uh, sort of a heart and soul of the team, certainly off the field, and it looks like he's going to slide more into a bullpen role. So I think a guy like that, um, and, and a number of other guys, too, uh, that, that are back, guys like Griffin Everett or Shea Shanneman or whoever else, um, I think those guys are, are going to be sort of the straw that stirs the drink this year because when you look at what Nebraska was in 2021 winning the Big Ten, going to a regional and how they dropped off last year to their worst winning percentage since the 1970s, the, the big difference was less about talent and, and more about sort of that, that, uh, that intangible stuff, peer accountability, peer leadership. And they really feel like in this roster flip, they've added a lot of guys who are going to bring that to the table. So you don't know until the games get rolling here, um, but they feel like it's a night and day difference just in terms of guys who love baseball, love to be there every day, are invested in, in each other's success, that sort of thing. 
Um, there's a talent upgrade too, and I think it's just going to be interesting to see how these new faces and, and these old ones come together and what it looks like here in just a few weeks. Last thing to that that last point there, Nebraska went 1-6 in, in February uh, last season, Nebraska baseball, that is. <clears throat> what does a better February look like? Obviously, you know, 2-5 and five would be an improvement, but you can kind of throw wins and losses to the side after last year with all these new faces. What is a successful February slate of games for Nebraska baseball this year? Well, it's huge. I mean, you've got four at San Diego. You've got, I think, three at South Alabama. And then you have the big monster weekend in Minneapolis where you take a swing at the defending national champs and Ole Miss, as well as Vanderbilt, who's, you know, a perennial powerhouse. And I mean, that's, that's where you set your RPI. Like that's, that's, where a big chunk of your postseason resume, fair or otherwise, is going to be laid out there against some of these top teams. Um, you know, in, in terms of a record, it's it's hard to say. I think historically, when Nebraska's had good teams, they generally break 500 or so, maybe a little above in those first three weekends, and then they get the crush of home games, and that's where they can really start racking up wins and and building some momentum. But what I'll be watching specifically is you think back to some of Nebraska's recent regional teams when they went in 2019, when they went in 2021, um, you know, the years that Nebraska was good, they tend to, to pull some sort of an early season upset, whether that's, I think 2017, they beat Arizona that was ranked 2019. They knocked off Texas tech. Um, and, and in those years, they, they tend to show what they can do early on. And in the years when, when they've struggled a little bit more, those first few weekends have been particularly rough. So I think, uh, we'll get a really good sense for what Nebraska is, um, you know, in those first three weeks. And I think it just adds to the urgency that with so many new faces, they really are, uh, are going to prioritize hitting the ground running. Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald with us here today as he is every Wednesday. Evan, appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks to Evan for his time. Great insight, as always. When we come back, we will wrap up the show. DP and JR in the building. We'll cross it over with the old school crew right after this.